call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 15 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watched two films by my granddad, Michael Ritchie, 1976's The Bad News Bears, Walter Matthau, and 1972's The Candidate. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Enjoy! What do you think of the movies this week? I was not a massive fan. They were aggressively average films. Yeah. I think they're just victims of the passage of time. Yes, yes, yes. There would be uh, the Wayne's World equivalent going back I to that I support Michael Ritchie as a fellow member of the Ritchie clan. I'll die for him. Uh, have you found any links between you and him? Any Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or Michael yes. Ritchie, as it were? Yep. Oh, you we have? have a very strong link. Ah, uh-huh. yep, very strong link. We share a surname. Ah, very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And which of his uh which of his films did you prefer on this occasion? I'd have to go for your choice. Yeah, your pick from last week was the third film directed by Michael Ritchie, 1976's baseball comedy The Bad News Bears, which tells the story of a little league team made up of a ragtag group of misfit kids and their alcoholic coach. The film was written by Bill Lancaster, son of Burt Lancaster. All right, quiz time for you. Burt Lancaster famously appeared in which 1989 baseball film? I'll say The Natural. I think that was 1982 or 1984. Now this one has Kevin Costner. Oh, right. Uh, Bull Durham. No, later than that. Bull Durham's like 87, a couple years later. It's also got Ray Liotta, I remember, is in it. And uh, James Field Old of Jones. Dreams? Field of Dreams. Burt Lancaster is uh, Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham. I've never seen Field of Dreams. I've heard ah, no, it's great. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's a good film. Solid. Uh, so anyway, Burt Lancaster, a famous actor. His son, Bill Lancaster, wrote the script to Bad News Bears. Okay, quiz time part two. Bill Lancaster's other big screen credit, a 1982 horror film. Oh, fuck, I don't know. (laughs) Set in the the snow. No, you love this film. Oh, he's in The Thing. He wrote The Thing. Oh, what? Wow. Same writer, Bad News Bears and The Thing. That's not bad going. Unfortunately, he died in his 40s of a heart attack, though. Oh, Burt Lancaster must have been awful sad about that. Or was Burt Lancaster dead already? Well, he, he, Burt Bert Lancaster had died even before then. But this, they died about two years apart in the 90s. It was very sad. More of the bad news bears. Uh, so the film stars Walter Matthau as the coach, Morris Buttermaker, a washed-up former minor league baseball star, and Vic Morrow as Roy Turner, the opposition coach, around six years before Vic Morrow was decapitated by a helicopter while filming the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> the two, You know that, right? No, I've never heard that story before. Go on. Vic Morrow. So in the filming of the Twilight Zone movie, uh, what's his name? John Landis had, uh, they were filming a scene that was supposed to be set in the Vietnam War. And uh-huh. they, had, they had two young kids uh, and they were, with, they were with Vic Morrow. 
they were filming a scene outside of the scheduled hours, so it wasn't a legal shot that they had set up. And mm-hmm. a helicopter on a rig crashed out of control, and it landed, killing at least one of the kids, and it cut off Vic Morrow's head. Good God! Yeah, John, John Landis and I think Steven Spielberg were both taken to court for that. Wow. I mean, and, and did kids die? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very, Jeez. very, it was controversial. John Landis was in the shit for a long time. Yeah, the, de- the death of children is controversial, <laughs> it to is. be fair. And it was hard saw- lines as well for Vic Morrow's daughter, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee's his daughter. Wow. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee of re, uh, the Hateful Eight. This that's Jennifer mm-hmm. Jason mm-hmm. Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's wow, the daughter just... of Vic Morrow and uh, Janet Lee. Wow. Janet Lee is is one of those ladies who's hot in black and white. Oh, that's mm. probably poor taste, is it? Yeah, well, that's after poor taste. The, after the death of these children, I'm just starting. <laughs> Most of my film trivia is just uh, centered around the how actors die and what films they were in. I mean, that's all you need, really. So that's um, all there is. Uh, to be fair, you shouldn't have brought up uh, the death of Vic Morrow. I don't know how you can avoid it in for this role because, um, well, quite frankly, in the Bad News Bears, he's a bit of a cunt. He's a cock. Yeah, he's glad. I'm, I'm glad that he got he's his head a- chopped off. <laughs> they will be at the, the character, not the actor. I want Roy Turner, the, the coach of the Yankees, to have his head chopped off. So you were, you were projecting Roy Turner on Vic Morrow as he was getting his head sliced off in the yeah, Vietnam War. Yeah, nice. Roy Turner, you're getting done in. So the two most notable names among the kids are the two ringers that Buttermaker brings on board during the season. Mm-hmm. Tatum O'Neill is Amanda Wurlitzer, an 11-year-old tomboy who sees Buttermaker as a father figure. And Jackie Earl Haley, old Rorschach himself, as Kelly Leak, the bad boy who smokes cigarettes, rides his motorbike around the diamond and generally terrorizes the neighborhood. Which gave Tatum O'Neill her taste for bad boy athletes. Mm-hmm. Because she uh, shacked up with John McEnroe. Do you know who else she dated? Go on. Michael Jackson. Really? Mm-hmm. No but wonder she came away damaged. Apparently he wasn't interested in a sexual relationship. I don't understand it. <laughs> so weird. I well, don't, why could that be? What do, you think he was, what do you think he had issues with? I think his original idea of Tatum O'Neill was uh, without a bre- without breasts and in <laughs> right. bad news he bears. He liked her in bad news bears. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you a girl? Oh shit! <laughs> I'll, I'll let you do the. You can do the Michael Jackson impressions this week. All right. Um, the, honest, okay, we can really banter away quite. Um, there's in almost no in, plot to this film, a, so it doesn't really matter. But to either films. I, I d- yeah, that's true. They're just fucking... They're montages of... Take a, uh, it's a lot. It's montage heavy. Uh, yeah, there's loads of... Like, they're basically just... Like, The Candidate in particular is a series of vignettes. But anyway, so we're, we start off with who? Walter Matthau. I got to... Well, well like, let me give so, you this question. The film go had for a, it. The film had a $9 million budget. What do you think it made? Um, uh, I'd say it made a lot because I uh, it's got quite a legacy. This popular. film, it was one of the biggest earners of this 50 year. Fifty million. Oh yeah, you're not bad. Forty-two point three. All oh, right. Okay. 
Um, yeah, well, this film has got quite a big legacy. You kind of hear it referred to, um, you know, when comedians and American celebrities refer to, you know, their big pop culture moments, yeah. Bad News Bears is, is up there with like the likes of Old Yeller and Rudy and stuff like that. It's just it's just well-known stuff. As well known as something like the young ones would be to us, seemingly. It's just something that they would know quite well. And to be fair, the ba- Bad News Bears is, and the candidate, but the candidate much less so, ba- the Bad News Bears is a great big thick slice of Americana, you know? It's I was thinking ju- about this because mm. like, the plot of the Bad News Bears is one that we've seen many times since. Like unconventional, uh, unconventional coach or teacher helps a disparate group of characters bond as a as a team or a sports team while ultimately revealing their worth as people but i get the feeling it was a lot more revolutionary in 1976 the only other similar films i could think of from the same era are the longest yard the first one mm. with burt reynolds in 1974 and slapshot with paul newman in i don't think i've seen that but neither of them have kids have you not seen yeah i watched slapshot a long time ago like when i was a oh teenager. wait no sorry slapshot i've seen uh, yeah, Slapshot I've seen, but you blipped out again there. Yes, the Slapshot I've seen, I, I love Slapshot. Um, but uh, I sl- <laughs> and I suppose, yeah, this Slapshot is the film that this is most similar to that I have seen, mainly right. because there's only a year between them. Well, they, they, the Bad News Bears follows through on its promise uh, in a way that I suppose other films that borrowed this framework have taken a studio note and given it, given them a victory at the end. But of course, like this film kind of reveals itself in the third act in a, in such a way in kind of, you know, it gives itself, it gives itself, it, it, it has a bit more honesty and integrity in that. Of course they don't win. It would be stupid Although, if they won. To be fair, they did shoot an ending where the kids won and that was ultimately, ultimately rejected based on test screenings. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you see, that makes sense. Because, yeah, of course they didn't win. It would would have been stupid if they won. So at the start of the film, we're introduced to Walter Matthau's Morris Buttermaker, Mm. pulling up to a baseball field before stopping to pour whiskey into his beer. Have you watched a a lot of Walter Matthau films? Because I realized while watching this, I'm really unfamiliar with the majority of his career. Um, Walter Matthau, I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, well, he's part of the the odd couple, so to speak. So I've seen grumpy old men. (laughs) <laughs> and grumpier old men. I may have watched Grumpy Old Men. I, I've seen, of course. Um, I haven't watched the Odd Couple. I've seen uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Oh yeah, the original with uh, Robert Shaw, which is just a terrific, terrific film. That's like um, peak seventies urban crime thriller. Like that's just you know, really, I actually, really good stuff. I actually watched the uh, Tony Scott remake during lockdown. Oh, that's a terrible film. <laughs> it's not. It's terrible, but it's also quite funny. It, it's of course, it's really lively, like all Tony Scott films. So yeah, even though they, the bad, the bad guy is played by John Travolta, and it's just it, ridiculous, hamming the fuck out of yeah, it with his terror, with his really odd pointy facial hair. And uh, Tony Scott does something to transition around the city that must have been acceptable for five seconds, where it seems to turn into a kind of a Google Street View and shift <laughs> around the city to the different points to follow the train. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, I suppose Walter Matthau would be more. I mean, he's definitely iconic 
but more so in that you know, just recognizable and uh, like yeah. there's, um, more more so than I, I I've seen a lot of his films. Let's say, yeah, that, that's exactly how I feel. Like I recognize him as a person, but I haven't seen the majority of his films. Do you know yeah, the other at- actors who were offered the Buttermaker role before Matai? I do not. Go for it. Steve McQueen and Warren Beatty. Jesus, what a different kind of film it would have been. Yep. They're both good looking. Mm-hmm. That changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? Yeah, because Walter Matthau has the gait and body language of a frumpy middle-aged woman. <laughs> it is ridiculous watching them. Frumpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a cruel description, Andy. <laughs> just watch Bad News Bears and draw your own conclusion. I, I've, he, he pours whiskey into his beer. I've never, I've never seen that before. That will give you breasts. <laughs> That's what we learned. <laughs> Don't do that, kids. It's not good. Um, was the alcoholic coach uh, a, a trope? Do you feel like that? I felt like watching this film, it was acceptable that he was an alcoholic. Do you think? It's not even a problem. Yeah, that's true. They don't care. Like, the guy, so, because the, the film doesn't mess around. Like, Buttermaker is immediately introduced to the group of kids he's been hired to coach by city councilman Bob Whitewood, whose son is on the team. And immediately, yeah, he's just getting wrecked in front of the kids yeah, all the time. And it's not... I mean, they kind of view him as a bit of a loser, but even this guy, the city councilman who hired him, doesn't seem to have a big problem with him drinking on the job. Mm. Um, In terms of the kids, it's clear right away that these kids are uh, basically just a number of stereotypes. Can you remember the names of any of the kids? And... No. Or, or, Or can you describe their characters and I'll give you their names? Okay, so we've got small aggressive fella. The one who uses the no-no words. Yes, the one who uses the no-no words. Then the um, bugger He's called Tanner. Then the bugger eating spaz. Uh, Lupus. Lupus, that's right, yeah. Then you've got two Mexican kids. Yeah, the Aguilar <laughs> brothers. Two random Mexicans. Yeah, uh, then uh, there's one other blonde kid who just seems to be there. there there's a faceless, the faceless mm. blonde kid who doesn't count. Then there's the big fat kid. Engelberg, yeah, who's constantly eating. Uh, yeah, and uh, he's a Jew because uh, mm-hmm. uh, the small... Ah, but he isn't, he, isn't the, he isn't the most Jewy Jew, though. No, no, that's true. <laughs> then we've got baseball Jew. Well, but there's, there's yeah, there's Rudy Stein... <laughs> who's like the kind of Woody Allen? Oh yeah, you know, uh, he's so the neurotic. He's the, that guy. He's the guy who Walter Matham uh, makes him get hit in the arm with the ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. So then we've got yeah. Then we've got baseball Jew who knows the t- statistics uh, and well, stuff. He's called Ogilvy. Is he actually Jewish? He's the the nerd. Seems to be. Then we've got. Um, You're missing one. You're missing. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course we have. Well, we've got uh, Tatum O'Neill and the the bad fella, and then uh, there's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then there's the the, the black guy. Yeah. Okay. I can't <laughs> believe you left him till last. This is that is the most racist thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Ab- Ahmed Abdul Rahim, the young black Muslim. Yes, that's right. Ahmed. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I, and uh, he takes off all his clothes and goes up into a tree because he he's he embarrassed. Runs up into a tree. He does indeed. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's it. You've nailed them. You got their their characteristics. That's all you need. So, well, um, I mean, that's all they are, isn't it? Yeah, they're just. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. How? Uh, well, I think Tanner sums it up quite well in the phrase <laughs> <laughs> using using no no words, which is probably I'm the main go... reason. It's probably gonna... the main reason that the 2005 remake happened. Jews, S words, N words, and now a girl is, is right. one of Tanner's lines, uh, which yeah. is just, it's really shocking. It is. I was absolutely floored. I think I had some concept that was going to happen, but when it happened, you're like, oh my God. I think this <laughs> film has been kind of also placed on a no no list. I don't think people are, I don't think anyone watches this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose that makes sense. But it's like, like I mean, but at the same time, uh, what are you going to do? It just makes me think of like, um, you know, that episode of uh, Father Ted that's now been canceled. It's not Father Ted, uh, Faulty Towers that's now been canceled. Oh, yeah. Which wow. is actually, which is one of the best episodes probably. And it's certainly the most iconic episode. It's the one with the Germans. Yeah, and that it, is a, it, maybe a strange. I was never a fan of Faulty Towers, so I don't really care. Uh, well, I mean, it's not. It's uh, I, I know, was, I know. But I'm it's, not, it's, I'm but just it's, it's being facetious, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, but it's not. It's not really about caring. It's just. I know. It's more, I know. I know. It's, I'm kidding. It's more kidding. so just about like it's a fucking Standard. hotel in the seventies. You yeah. know what I mean? I know. I know. So he's so a big old dirty alcoholic Walter Matthau is, but it's not made a big deal of. It's acceptable to be an alcoholic back then. Yeah, Buttermaker works as a pool cleaner, so he takes all the kids on a job with him, getting one of the boys to mix his martinis. Indeed, yeah. He I goes felt f- like, yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I said yeah. He he upgrades himself from um, whiskey beer uh, to martinis. Yeah. I feel like the back and forth between Matau and the kids is. It's solid enough, but it just feels really dated, especially in a world now in which we have characters like Kenny Powers and he's bound and down. Uh, do you know what I... Right, the thing that you've just called dated, I think I think it's possible it may have even been jarring at the time because mm. once, I, it, once I kind of put my... I, I suppose I would have waited until... It would have taken me watching The Candidate to quite put my finger on this. But this is a kid's movie in tone shot like a William Friedkin film. Like right. the loca- like he this guy loves uh, R- Richie, your namesake. He loves uh, anti-locations almost. And um particularly in the baseball scenes I actually found that really cool and really effective. You could kind of follow the game in a way that you don't yeah. really with this kind of um That's true. with this kind of film, but even like you know where he goes and picks up uh, Tatum O'Neill's character from she's selling um, maps at the side of a highway. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's just, just nothing. like it's a nothing. Yeah, yeah, case, yeah. Right? Exactly, exactly. And um, I think I, I think even because they did have kids sports films before this, but even something like Slapshot has a bit more kind of a I don't know. Maybe it's the presence of Paul Newman. Maybe it's the just outlandishness of all the characters and so Slapshot's forth. Slapshot's also adults though. Yeah, but it, you know, I'm to- referring to like the, the kind of tone of it. It feels more um, heightened reality than this. This feels quite uh, real, despite the fact that it also feels ridiculous. I don't know. I think that's the and like w- yeah, when he's going around cleaning pools, uh, it's all shot in very close, and you are c- 
clearly in somebody's backyard and not on a studio lot. Mm-hmm. And that's unusual in this kind of kind of film. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel that like the pa- I like I feel like the patter between him and the kids is delivered in the same way the film is shot, which is kind of like like it is a goofy Disney film with almost a neorealist aesthetic. And there you go. That is how you bring fucking film nerdyism to the bad news bears. <clears throat> Thank God. So Indeed. we see a little ceremony with the group of teams about to start the season, and then the Bears play their first match against the Yankees and get absolutely trounced, with Buttermaker forfeiting the match, leaving the team dejected. And as you mentioned, Ahmed, the little the young black kid, runs off before stripping down to his pants and climbing a tree. And this is the first thing to pull at Walter Matthau's heartstrings and get him into a more Coach Bombay way of thinking. Right, Coach Bombay he... was another uh, drunken oh, yeah. coach. That, was he? I don't remember much about the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, he got his community service for a DUI he incurs, which oh, is in it. Right. And the Mighty Ducks is a Disney movie. It's a DUI mm. and a Disney movie. Oh, that was okay in 95 or whenever. So with the team in the toilet, Buttermaker goes to see young Amanda Wurlitzer, a.k.a. Tatum O'Neill, a young girl he coached in the past. She refuses to join the team. What do you make of, uh, of Tatum O'Neill's character? Um... I th- feel like she's probably there because she's Tatum O'Neill a bit. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it's it's strange. It's also it, it's quite clear that she's um, the most experienced actor of the ki- of all the right. kids. Yeah. Um, she just acts them off the screen, and you know, because uh, she would have grown up in Hollywood, essentially. You know, um, she like reminds me of the kid that uh, Joey is forced to do the soup advertisement with, who's a much more seasoned mm, professional than him in, in Friends. There's a nice uh, seasoned, uh, nice crispy Friends reference for you there, folks. Uh, <laughs> well yeah. the, originally, this character was going to be played by Jodie Foster at one point. Um, but then she was off in New York sucking D. Well, it's, fu- <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned this. Uh, I think it's worth oh, pointing out. Yeah? It's worth pointing out that O'Neill... Uh, was around 12 years old when she filmed this part, the same age as when she was molested by her father's drug dealer. Tatum O'Neill was molested by her father's drug dealer? Yeah, she was also physically and verbally abused by her father, Ryan O'Neill. Oh, Oh, yeah, well, I've heard about that because they did a reunion on Oprah. Yeah, and then she went on to become a heroin and crack addict herself. Yes, and then John McEnroe took her kids away from her. Not a fun yeah. life. And then she had to see Michael Jackson's Willie, probably. I think she identifies as a, a, a lesbian now, I seem to remember reading. I mean, Michael Jackson will do it to you. The only reason I bring this up is because if a character, it feels like the sexualization of her 11-year-old character doesn't really happen like this anymore. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot I mean, of weird little comments. <laughs> it just feel about About her chest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, things. A, there's a bit of that going around, all right. Yeah, and um, then she, yeah, she gets asked on a date to a Rolling Stones concert, which is like, yeah, what are you, Elvis Presley? You can't do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, she gets she gets swindled in. Yeah. So the Bears, feeling like losers, are determined to quit, but Buttermaker tucks them around. They play the next game against the Athletics and get smashed again, but manage to finish the game this time. Buttermaker goes back to see Amanda and begs her to join up. She agrees on the condition that he buys her jeans and pays for ballet lessons. Yeah, and she's not great at the ballet, it transpires. No, that is a strangely shot scene as well. It feels somewhat redundant. Yeah, 
that would have been feels like room they floor. slap that together. Yeah, I, I think it feels like the only purpose is for the little um, Napoleonic complex fella to go and bother ballet dancers, and also Kelly to go up to one of the ballet dancer ladies and be like, "Hey, a red lady, I'm gonna go on a date." <laughs> Uh, so can we, to introduce uh, Kelly's characters. Yeah, uh, so, oh. yeah, <laughs> Buttermaker and Amanda. Well, with Amanda and the team, they narrowly lose to their next opponents thanks to a mistake from Lupus, the little snot-nosed kid. Um, Buttermaker and Amanda go to recruit Kelly Leak, the local badass. After yes, Amanda the- loses to him at air hockey, she has to go on a date. Uh, and um, <laughs> he's introduced by one of the Mexican kids, uh, but he says it's un bandito. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I, is a good gag. Is this thing of losing a match, or is that a thing outside of film and TV? Having to go on a date after losing a bet or a game? I don't know. <laughs> Has that ever I mean, happened in the history of the world? Well, first of all, okay. I always wonder what way we're fed the american dating culture because firstly i think i've been on one date ever and i haven't <laughs> i haven't been fair i i haven't been with only one lady ever yeah. i've been on one date ever you because you know how courting works where you and yeah. i come from that's um, right i have so, been just there's been a flotilla of whores <laughs> this is it yeah to put it to, to, jesus <laughs> to put it mildly but anyway uh, but I've grow- while I've grown up watching America on TV and gotten to know the dating culture and have since got to witness the dating culture uh, be birthed to in, in Ireland and I, some of my uh, younger friends go on dates and so forth. Um, but I, at the same time, I just think the Yanks think different about it than we do. So I think it's possible. Well, I remember, but it just it just still seems like a ludicrous proposition. I remember whenever this was maybe three three years ago, I went to see Bill Burr in Edinburgh, and a lot of his material was talking about dating, and it was so clear that the Scottish audience he was talking about, like you know, when you go on a date and you have to pay for everything, and the like, the Scottish audience was just going, "No, no, I don't know about that." Like, yeah, maybe in films, but not in real life. I'm sorry, Billy. I, what happened, and the only date I was ever on, I was um, hung over in a shop near my university, and uh, I was in a, the line for a deli, and I can't have been looking good. And it's so bad for me at the age of 20 was, was, was a bad look. I didn't wouldn't have wouldn't have had a full beard or nothing to, to cover <laughs> up the, the, the greasy hungoverness. And um, this French lady just starts kind of ch- talking to me, a lady called Natalie, as I remember. Good looking girl. And uh, then, uh, but I was just too dead to it. I had never been approached like that. And I all of a sudden realized, oh my God, this lady is, this is definitely, she's trying to chat me up. She's, so I, I just c- continued the conversation, allowing myself to be guided by her. She was continental, so she was, was guiding it. And I'm just a you know repressed Catholic boy. And uh, I ended up asking her out. And then before uh, my date with her, I drank two pints of Guinness and probably three during it as she had a cup of coffee. And that was the, the only date I was ever on. Success. <laughs> no, 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 no. I never saw her again. Also success. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. 
So to finish off the plot, eventually Kelly joins up and the team becomes good, thanks to the two ringers. They beat a bunch of teams, mainly due to Kelly stepping in to make catches in front of the other kids. Oh, yeah. In the last game of the season, the Bears face the Yankees again. Buttermaker, rather than using Kelly to win the game, gives everyone a turn on the field, ultimately leading to them losing. But although they lost the match, the real victory was the friends they made along the way. Yay! Yeah, it's all about having the crack in the end. And he gives them all beers in the dugouts. That's true. That's also yeah. good. Gets them started on there. And you, you should give one to Tatum O'Neill because she needs to wash down her crack. Oh, good God. Her on. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, yeah. Um, also, in that last game, is it, it is in the last game, yes, where um, the coach... For the other team, Vic Morrow's mm-hmm. character um, gives out stink to his um, young son in front of everyone. No, he hits him because ah, he yes, has a big I recall argument. what happened. Does he actually hits him. Yeah, he does. He slaps him in the face because mm. his son um, goes to throw the ball straight at the head of Fatty Fatty Boom Boom Boy oh, and right. uh, uh, Engelbert, maybe. Uh, and then the father says, "No, you tr- you try to." Um, uh, hit him with the ball and then he smacks his son in the side of the head and then the son purposefully um, strikes out yeah, and the son says I hope a helicopter cuts your head off oh good god Andy now come on but to uh, the Turner to the coach not to Vic Morrow oh right yeah 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 of course <laughs> of course which is fine to say uh, mm-hmm. yeah some people really really liked this film some people still do I had ca- I had consistently First time I remember seeing it was, you know, in one of Quentin Tarantino's many varied uh, <laughs> top 10 movie lists of all time. And I remember seeing the Bad News Bears and I was like, that sounds like that. I, th- I, th- I would have thought it was originally like a men on a mission kind of a war movie or something like that. If um, you go on IMDb and you click on trivia on any film, you will find the sentence, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite films. <laughs> on literally well, I mean, every single film that exists. Mm-hmm. That route of search did lead me to the Lone Ranger eventually, which I ended up quite liking. I like the Lone. What Ranger. What do you mean the the one the Gore the Ar- the Arnie one, Hammer, the, yeah the, the Gore Verbinski one Army with Hammer. The, not a fan. No, I haven't watched it. I'm just saying, like I think I it's problematic on too many levels for me. Fair enough, problematic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, I don't know why I never watched it. I just think probably because it got middling to shit reviews. It is it is a good film. It's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, now not only is Johnny Depp racist, but he's now a woman beater. I wonder if uh, he can get the whole bingo card. <laughs> he just needs to go and punch Elliot Page. And mm. then, I don't know what else he needs to do, but he's, he's, getting, he's halfway there. So, bottom line, if somebody says to you, uh, oh, thinking, oh, I might watch uh, The Bad News Bears, The Bad News Bears on tonight, I might watch that, what will you say? Don't watch either the 70s one or even the 2005 remake, which I've watched as well. It's not a surprise, like, Richard, Richard Linklater definitely likes this formula because he directed The Bad News Bears remake and he's obviously made School of Rock as well which mm. has that similar, You also uses that same formula, but the remake is fairly poor. Uh, what, also, which, what, School of Rock is excellent. Yeah, and I if would anybody, say watch School of Rock. <laughs> yeah, if anybody says to me, I was thinking about watching, that, that'll be my answer now. If somebody says I'm thinking about watching the Bad News Bears, I'll say watch School of Rock instead. It's better. Yep. Cool. All right. So, 
yeah, surely never watching this again. Uh, Bad News Bears a, or The Candidate or both? Oh, both. Yeah, yeah that'll happen. Agreed. But, uh, yeah, um, out of the two of them, um, I probably preferred the, in general, the watching experience, probably the first one. But yes. there were aspects of the uh, second that I enjoyed more. Uh, it felt kind of like almost a 70s version of uh, The Thick of It without being near without so funny. Yeah, without the comedy. <laughs> Uh, as a matter of fact, so first thing about the candidate, as its poster, it's got Robert Redford in front of a Stars and Stripes blowing some bubble gum. Now, that is misleading because that makes this seem like it would be far more silly than it turns out to be. Well, I have a question for you because this film, is billed, this film is billed as a political comedy drama. Yes. And this is perhaps a little unfair given the fact that 48 years have passed since it came out, but... Can you identify the points where it's supposed to be funny? Two or three, but I have that exact note written. And the two or three that I would have had would have been just standard little, you know, you know, the way you can insert it. There's fucking gags in heat, <laughs> you know, uh, like <laughs> they're a lot funnier. Yeah, probably, actually. Uh, like, yeah, there's I, there's a scene near the end where he's on the he's trying to get away from the press with Peter Boyle and some Mexican busboy tells him they're not oh supposed God, to stand there. To be, and that, that's awful. Uh, like, you know, I mean, that's a little gag, um, but mostly no, no, not at all. What about the part? It reminded Robert, me of, what about the part where Robert Redford is in the back of the car and he's practicing his speech and he starts going off on one and just making strange noises. And that that's is supposed to be funny, isn't it? Yes, that is supposed to be funny. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but it's. Okay. I suppose it's just kind of like. Well, it's nineteen seventy-two. To be fair, it's like listening to a Lenny Bruce album nowadays. It's kind of like, well, what are you gonna yes. do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Indeed. Okay. So, the candidate um was, is a nineteen seventy-two American. I'm not. It's an American political drama. Let's say with that light-hearted elements to it, uh, starring Robert Redford. And Peter Boyle and directed by your mate, Michael Ritchie. Yeah. Um, the, the screenplay won an Academy Award. Do you um, know what it was up against? No, do you? Yes, I have the list in front of me. Can you guess any of them? I Just to let you know, I haven't seen any of these films. Oh, right. Okay. Um, now, this, it, it won the Academy Award for what is now Best Original Screenplay. And this was the year of films like The Godfather, Cabaret, and Deliverance. Okay, all of those are based on books, though. Yeah, so it's none of them. Um, I'll be shocked hmm. if you could name any of these films. Uh, let's see. Let, ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, I've got maybe one. It's a three. This is so the 1972 last, is the year. The last detail, maybe. No, that's nope. That's a nice idea, but no. Um. Ah, oh, god damn it! I, I, I really okay. can't think. Um, so, hold on, hold on. No, I'm not going to get any of these. Okay, so Fuck. The, <laughs> the first one is. I'll be shocked if you've even heard of them. The first one is the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Uh Louis Bunuel, his last nice. film. Oh, well done. Okay, so you did know. Uh Lady Sings the Blues. Never heard of it. It's a Billie Holiday biopic starring Diana Ross. Okay. God bless her. Uh, Murmur of the Heart. Louis Mal. 
Yeah, nice. And it's a big inspiration to Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach, apparently. Good and for it. The last one is uh, Young Winston. No idea what that is. Is that about Winston Ooh. Churchill? Yeah, it's the only Richard way you Attenborough, could... a Richard Attenborough film about Churchill's early years. Just, <laughs> just hobnobbing around like a carry-on yeah. film. Yeah, uh, fun being fat. Wow, for all the for all the amazing stuff that came out in 1972, that is a fucking old category, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? It was it was all based on books, apparently. Oh God, that's a shoddy old character category. Not good. Um, and actually, of of all the those other those four other films, the only one I've seen is the um, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, and that's a, just a demented film. You couldn't give that a a, a script award. You, I don't know how they even nominated it. It's a daft film. Uh, the the general conceit is. A bunch of middle class people, four or five, uh, four or five in four or five vignettes throughout the movie, constantly try to sit down to have dinner, but they're constantly interrupted. Oh, that sounds great! It's completely uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's batty and alley. Um, oh god, you'd fucking hate it! <laughs> you'd fucking hate it! Um, yeah. All right. Uh, well, okay. So I suppose maybe. Maybe it didn't do too bad winning the Oscar there. Maybe, but it was a, it was a shoddy enough year. Anyway, yeah, um, it was uh, the script. The Oscar winning script was written by Jeremy Lanner, who was a speechwriter for uh, Eugene McCarthy. So it wouldn't be the first uh, speechwriter that's broken into Hollywood. Won't be the last, no doubt. Okay, so it opens up with a no with a, a kind of a noble political concession by a man we later find out to be. Uh, Robert Redford's father, not Robert Redford, of course, but his character, whose name is McKay. Um, yeah, uh, so this fellow McKay, he appears to be part of some sort of a political dynasty, but mm-hmm. his father would have been of a, I don't know, his father would have been a generation politician who would have held a seat in the Senate for quite some time. Whereas Robert Redford, his son, appears to be just, you know, outlandishly good looking around. Indeed and hip and bumming around and so the whole gist of the film is peter boyle's character who's a, a like a, a campaign manager um is going to spearhead his campaign all the way to the senate now this film immediately kind of reminded me of 10 things but i can't put my finger on fucking any of them i feel like we've seen this a lot since but probably sharper and better done um, I was thinking about all the stuff that's come out that's since this point that's dealt with similar themes like election, Ides of March, Bob Roberts, primary primary colors in the loop. In terms of TV, we've had the West Wing, Veep, the thick of it. Mm. Yeah, okay. We've, just, we've seen it a million. We've seen all of this stuff done so many times since this point. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm like I'm not gonna you know just. Uh, jump in straight away to beat this and say all of them done better even though they are i but i don't think that's quite what jars with me in this film it's what we've already mentioned is that what is the tone it's uh it's and uh, like as the poster would tell you and as the genre would tell you this is supposed to be a comedy of some sort but um and you can feel them going for it but nothing lands nothing whatsoever like really i don't know it's I a, think it's in just, 1972 it was shocking, though. 
this level of insight into the political process was shocking because that's what I thought. That's what I, I've I've the conclusion I came to as well. Go because on. Jeremy, because Jeremy Larner, the writer, uh, talked about how so he worked on the campaign for Senator Eugene J. McCarthy in uh, McCarthy's campaign for the 1960 Democratic presidential nomination. And so certain scenes in the film are things that happened to Eugene McCarthy, like, for example, having the guy coming up in the toilet and talking to him while he's taking a piss and going like, see you, you're a bomb, your dad's a bomb. And also the handing the candidate um, a hot dog and a Coke and then punching him in the face. Oh, that happened? Yeah, that really happened to Eugene McCarthy. It was witnessed by Jeremy Larner. Good God. But I feel like that was shocking to people at the time because they didn't realize that that's what politics was. They didn't perhaps have that. I mean, we've got access to so much information. Obviously, politics Mm. has morphed into something else. It's funny because me and you are both fans of Jonathan Haidt. And in in The Righteous Mind, like he traces a lot of the problems and polarization and the tribal nature of politics. He traces back to the 1970s, I seem to recall. Yeah, at some point the, the, in the, the book. when they started televising, yeah, everything. and that's yeah. kind of what this is dealing with. Not very yeah. well, but that's kind of the well, point. See, it might have been a lot more interesting at the time. Yeah, but that's the thing, I suppose. Yeah, so there's parts of it. There's parts of it that are interesting. So it it does. Yeah, you can you can get that whole like I said before that Lenny Bruce vibe off it. Like I'm sure this was important at a point. Um. There, and the, yeah, there are little scenes littered here and, here and there throughout. But anyway, right, we get to see McKay's father give a concession speech and we zero in on Peter Boyle's uh, Marvin Lucas, who is <laughs> decidedly beardy. Uh, mm-hmm. Robert Redford even comments on this, said, I thought beards don't work in politics. Peter Boyle says they do not. Um, I think it, it would be important to point out that uh, his beard is a particularly ugly, nasty sort of a beard and I don't like it. As a bearded man myself, it's not yeah. a nice beard. I mean, it's either it's pedophile or serial killer. Yeah, it's not great, and particularly when, well, particularly when put next to the impossibly handsome Robert Redford. Robert Redford uh, was a, as we've established throughout, uh, yeah, it's, to to give it the call it friend or phrase, phrasing, call it friend or phrasing. He was a, a hot. He is a hot piece of ass. He's a fucking hot piece of ass. Yeah, he really, really is. Uh, he's well put together. I've ne- like I've actually, I can't think of another film where I've seen um, me- a man objectified quite so much uh, <laughs> as it, like it, honestly. I mean, they've done this to Robert Redford in other films, but the, the particular point of it is made in this. Um, and to uh, and there is a particular aspect of the film that I'm sure we'll get around to discussing. But anyway. Uh, Marvin Marvin Lucas, Peter Boyle's character, uh, travels to California, where a fucking course Robert Redford is. Okay, fair enough. Even though I know it, he travels down to San Diego, um, and Robert Redford appears to be just I don't know, arson around the place, uh, helping <clears throat> mechanics. That's what I he mean, does. He's, just, he's the son know. of a successful politician, and I don't think he had to worry much in his life. Anyway, Plus he looks be- like Robert Redford. Yeah. Uh, and he's got an impossibly hot wife as well. Um, and she could, she could be hot by today's standards. She's so good looking. Anyway, um, she's probably in her seventies though. That's the only problem. Yes, that that would be an issue for me also. <laughs> um, 
Peter Boyle convinces Robert Redford to run in the race because he said that he he basically guarantees him that he can say whatever he wants, do whatever he wants, and he guarantees him that he will lose for sure. Now, what the benefit of him running at all then is unclear to me because it trans you we learn later in the film that it was never the plan for him to win. Um, they never expected him to win. So what was the plan? Just that you got to run somebody and j- drum up interest for the party in general or another candidate? That was unclear to me. Um, I think, um, yeah, because no one else wanted to run because it was clear, it seemed clear that it was going to be a landslide for the incumbent uh, Jarman, Crocker Jarman. So no Democrat wanted to run in the race. So that's why they brought in uh, Bill McKay. Kind of a ringer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we've got, like, at one point, a guy in an army surplus jacket near the start of Robert Redford's campaign says, politics is bullshit, man. And this is the line that the movie, the entire movie seems to hinge on. Do you remember what I'm talking about? This is a mustachey character who hangs around oh, for the yeah. rest of the film as well. Um, so then anyway, we've got a few press conferences. We've got a meeting with an advertising agent who tells them the way he's going to spin it, um, who seems to be eating something out of a bag that requires a hammer to get out of the bag. What's he oh, eating? He, uh, it's nuts or something, no? All right, fair enough. But you know who that is? That's Alan Garfield. Who's Alan Garfield? Well, he was in a film that we watched, but only a few weeks ago. Was it a good film? Yeah, well, he was uh, alongside Gene Hackman. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Is he? I forget the guy's name. The, the rival surveillance guy. Exactly. Yes, he is. That's Alan, huh. uh, Alan Garfield. He played a character called Bernie Moran. Wow. So Alan Garfield in, plays uh, like the exclusive, exclusively kind of slime balls. He certainly did. Oh, and uh, here we go. Let's, let's play a, a, a nice trivia game. How did Alan Garfield die? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this out there. Yeah. I'm, because I've noticed this happening recently yeah. uh, with a few d- uh, COVID, right? Correct. That is hey. correct. Well done. COVID. The, he, he, it's, it's the curse of the Call It Friendo podcast. First yes, you die indeed. of COVID-19 and then we talk about you. <laughs> There's no escape. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, this guy seems to, I mean, he sort of exclusively plays slime balls and fair play to him. He does it well. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the advertising agent talks Redford into whatever um, plan they have for him. Um, and then we're on the campaign trail. And I mentioned this talking about Bad News Bears, but Richie, he does know how to use kind of anti-locations. And that's why when we, st- uh, when we start campaigning with McKay outside some factory or other it lo- it feels cold to watch mm. and you got to th- god this must have been what it's hardly still like this but this has got to be a lot of politics just you from a privileged background and you're standing talking to people who might as well be made of hand calluses are they still to- doing that are they still glad handing everyone and going around i'm not sure kissing babies but, but that scene does that scene 
sells it anyway. That I, I, I liked that scene. I thought that was real. I thought the guy that he spoke to seemed real. Could have been in a Mike Lee movie even. Um, then we've got his first big speech at some dinner, party, gala, or whatever, um, where he arrives. And they shoot it in kind of a really humane way where we sort of feel bad for the guy because he seems like he might be nervous or whatever. All the lights are shining in his face, all lens flaring like a J.J. Abrams film. Um, and yeah, basically, the, for a good deal of the rest of the film, it's just little campaign vignettes. Um and some more memorable than others, but all of them are ultimately leading. It's cliche to say it, but are leading to the end where we get the result of his election. The The order of things does not seem to really matter much. I think that's fair to say. No, like you said, it's a series of vignettes. Mm. Um, so I'm going to go through some of them. First of all, we've got the hippies on the beach and his trip to the ghetto. Oh, <laughs> Uh, the hippies on the beach, um, I don't know, whatever. They, uh, yeah, it, it, that reminded me of, uh, did you ever see the film uh, Electric Glide in Blue? No. It's kind of a, there's a, a scene in that where hippies are sort of, they, they try to do a reverse ferret on the kind of energy that would have been created by the likes of Easy Rider. And hippies right. are put across as kind of just dangerous, scary villains, which I assume they actually were for quite a few people back in the day, just a bunch <laughs> well, of dirty... Well, they do. These 1972 surfer people have that vibe. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Counterculture vibe. And then in the ghetto, now I don't know... <laughs> well, I don't know, was this meant to be as intimidating as it came across <laughs> well, to me? The big, the big black guy coming in and saying... Uh, what do you think about my dog? What yeah. do you think about my dog? What do you think about my dog? I was just like, that's like, I did, to me, and I, <laughs> you can use this soundbite wherever you want, race was not an issue in this scene. That just reminded me of just anywhere and there being a crazy guy. And I think that put, played actually really realistically. And I was just like, oh, God, get this fucking crazy guy away from me. What do you think about my dog? What do you think about my dog? Yeah, I've definitely met that person multiple times. Oh. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, the whole campaign trail is as basically as chaotic as you'd imagine. Um, but like, like I said, there, like I probably of the two films, I would prefer this. I'll say, but I still will never watch it again. But there's parts of it that I enjoyed more. The forest fire sequence, um, I thought was uh, was sequence. The forest fire scene, I thought was was interesting. Um, what, in what way? Uh, just the fact that they there appeared to be really a forest fire going on in the background. <laughs> uh, Do you think they like, shot at a forest fire? I think they would did. Yeah, I would. I would say. I would say that that's what the way they did it. Um, I seem to recall reading that this was filmed in about thirty days or so. Wow. I I get the feeling that they probably just shot whatever they could when they could. Yeah, I would say so. That seems about right. Um, like you're saying about uh, by Michael Ritchie's anti-location settings i guess it was maybe just a case of we'll film wherever we can um yeah the, like the and i i felt like the forest fire stuff was almost meant to be those were the little stabs at humor that they're going for but they just kind of seem strange and unnerving like the scene that you talked about earlier the scene that actually happened when somebody gave him a hot dog and he got punched in the face um mm. it's a good thing I'd imagine that's supposed to be funny, but it just seems unnerving to me. It kind of reminded me of like, um, do you remember when um, 
somebody threw a milkshake at Nigel Farage. Yes, that was in Newcastle. Right. So here's the thing. Okay, apparently, uh, there was loads of jokes going around in the media that because uh, he was giving out a, to his security detail. Now, for all anybody's feelings about Nigel Farage, I was I was completely on his side about being annoyed at the security detail because it's like he's a man with as many enemies as he has. Somebody mm-hmm. should not be able to just throw somebody at, something at him in the street. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's fucking Ni- Nigel Farage, a very unlikable man. <laughs> he's um, not running for Senate. No, 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 no. But my, well, no, my, po- my point is, like, the idea that, imagine somebody could punch Nigel Farage in the face in a crowd. It would be insane if that happened. It would be nuts. That would, we would be, we would be, the footage would have been seen a billion times by now. Are you and issuing a challenge? <laughs> this is the call it friend of podcast challenge issued by donna katirn and i have no part in this okay no if we're going if if we're going we'll go hard and go home let's get um uh jared the trump fella okay yeah i think he's got a ni- nice face anyway um point being yeah i think that would have been meant to be funny but it's just oddly nerve-wracking for me anyway it was then okay so we've got a a scene that uh, i need you to explain though i'm sure you will not be able to explain it what the fuck is going on with the photo shoot with the wife so So there's they arrive home robert redford comes into the house and then he finds yeah that's supposed to be funny as well the robert redford comes in and asks this journalist or photographer like what are you doing and he says, I'm your wife's cheating on you with me. Your wife's having an affair with me. But she but she told me to tell you that I'm that I'm a journalist from blah 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 magazine because she thought that you <laughs> she thought you wouldn't believe the other thing. It's just it's just yes. such a, it's supposed to be funny, I think. But his well, what is the other really thing weird to be? delivery. The, the, or the, it's just a, he's just a joke. He's just making a ridiculous... He's just making a really bad joke. So what is happening there, then? She's l- really doing a photo shoot dressed up in her horse riding gear because she's the wife of a possible senator, a, a candidate for senator. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, because the energy of the scene is so weird. I thought there was something going on I wasn't film. getting. No, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. That's you true. were you were hoping that was the case because that would be more interesting if yeah, she was maybe. having like a weird threesome with those two guys. Yeah, while wearing, fair while wearing her horse riding gear, the riding crop did it. For me, I'll be honest. Yeah, see, that was so much. That would have been so much better. Um, a very so different then, film may not have then, won the Oscar, or would have would have won more Oscars anyway. Then we get to see some guy on TV saying that um, at the start of the election, McKay was really cool and he had loads of integrity and he would interrupt people and now he's just playing ball. And we kind of get to uh, sort of let, it seems like it might be a let Bartlett be Bartlett moment from the West Wing, but Mm. it really isn't because, again, it just kind of dissolves into campaignness once again. And we've got the scene with him rehearsing his speech in the car that you referred to earlier which is just him just spouting jargon in no particular order if in nothing else i think robert redford delivers that quite well because it just seems like like it's mad it's almost like he's doing vocal exercises in the back of the uh, car Uh, but then all of a sudden 
the McKay's catchphrase is established, which is a better way, a better way, a better way, a better way. We get to hear him say a better way a lot. He tells uh, um, a ginger teamster to go fuck himself in a hotel room. I mean, it's all kind of a mess. Like we've said time and time again, it's all... Uh, there's there's Fair. quite a lot of negative reviews considering that this is an Oscar-winning film, like if, especially for the script. I, I agreed with one that I read from Robert Chapetta in Film Quarterly who said the, the, the most serious flaw was that Redford does poorly with the central dramatic element in the film, the changeover from being a reluctant candidate to wanting so badly to win that he's willing to compromise But he doesn't himself. want to win. Does he want to win? I never got that. Allegedly, Robert never. Uh, sorry, Redford never conveys any real desire to win. I would. Is that a review? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that. Like, yeah, that's, that's something I have noted here. It's like so. I mean, the ending is hints at that. Okay, he's like, what do we do now? It's delivered kind of with a with a sort of a glibness that to the point that you're wondering, well, then why are you doing this? Yeah. I, I, I did get that. That, that like, puzzled me. Because um, it's like he's just going through the motions, but he's just going through the motions for who? I don't understand. Um, does he want Why to win this? Why did he choose to do it originally? Mm. It's just not very well... Play, it doesn't play out particularly well that he has some interesting ideas and he wants to be free to express them. Then he gets reined in a bit by his campaign managers and then eventually he... Does he sell out? I just don't care. I just, I just felt like I'd seen all this stuff before, and I was just like, I don't give a shit. I mean, you know, there. <laughs> I don't think people were into being as clever as this back then. But you could make an argument that perhaps that that could be the point. I don't think it is, but you could make like the fact that it all just divulges, and you're kind of going, it divulges into nothingness, and you're kind of going. Well, what's the angle here? I don't really get the angle. What is the angle? What is the angle of the film, actually? What would you it's say is the angle? A satire of the political system that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense anymore because we're more savvy and we've got access to the internet and we share information in a completely different way now. So any value that this film held in terms of exposing the dark underbelly of the U.S. politics... It mm. looks it looks quaint now compared yeah. to the reality that is Twitter and all this shit. Well, the debate that they have in the film, if you park oh, that next... That's gentlemen. It's two gentlemen discussing the topic. Yeah, and it, like the... Um, well, he's got an odd name, Crocker, Crocker German. Uh, Crocker German, uh, at the end, he explodes because he claims that McKay is trying to incite a revolution or something like that. Yeah, I mean, compare that to some, of, to some of the stuff that Trump and Biden were slinging around in, in this year's debates. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just it just seems like child's play. Uh, and I, also, you get the feeling that people aren't voting strictly down party lines. They, they'll vote for the candidate that they prefer. They're not voting for someone because they're a Democrat. Yeah, I think that that is explored specifically in it. People, yeah. yeah, yeah, people commenting on that. They're like, oh, "I voted for this guy." Um, and so after the debate and everything, and the debate is, you know, is it, <laughs> that's how the film works. It's like it's got points here and there where it becomes interesting, and you can kind of um, uh, stepping stone through the 
dirge of montage to get there. Oh, yeah, at this point, right. Uh, so I'll bring it up. Um, the whole way through, Robert Redford seems to have had some sort of a political groupie. The lady with the glasses. Oh. But it's never yeah. explicitly shown or stated, but it just is, right? And then they come out of a room together. Yeah, and clearly they've just been fucking. Right. Or at least that's the implication. I assume I just, so, but I didn't what, care at that point. Yeah, I thought, what a strange decision to just include it with nothing but glances. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that is the way to do it, but I mean... And honestly, they direct fair play to your namesake, Michael Ritchie. He directs it in in such a way that you definitely pick up on what he's going for. But you, like, I don't know why. Maybe it's just taken as as a fact that uh, you know a hot piece of ass such as Robert Redford, while running for office, would have a hot piece of glasses hippie ass on the side. It was nineteen seventy two. Uh, yeah, different time. Anyway, yeah, and the, it's, it's uh, yeah. like it's like nineteen, it's like nineteen oh seven in Sweden. And actually, his bit of side tale um, executes the film's worst piece of um, beardist humor when she tells Peter Boyle to go wash his beard. Yeah, um, I d- didn't think that Peter Boyle's, although we've discussed that it's not the most appealing beard in the world, I wouldn't have said that it was necessarily dirty. No, I don't. I don't think that was fair, uh, personally. Um, so then, yeah, there's a, a part next up during the actual election where they we see a young lady approach a homeless man and get him by the arm to take him into the election. Do you think that's supposed to be funny as well? I thought so, and I was thinking to myself, that's could, just you, sad. <laughs> can, could you get can, homeless? Can you make a homeless man vote? Can you do that? Could you do that? You can, surely you can't or couldn't do that. How could you do that? I didn't think that? that was funny at all. I just, it just no. thought it was like, oh, that's horribly cynical that that was already possibly happening. I assume that was already happening at that point. So God knows how long that had gone on. Yeah. Ugh. Maybe that's why Peter Boyle grew his beard so he could shave it and vote again. Yep. That makes sense. Whatever happened to Peter Boyle? Um, He became Raymond's dad? He died in 2006. He was Raymond's dad, wasn't he? Yeah, Frank Baroni, and everybody loves Raymond. All right. Um, Oi, and this is a hack thing to say uh, at this point, but this is one of the few times for me where it was actually genuine. Um, Watching the uh, crowd scenes in this would give you a bit of COVID-era kind of trauma. (laughs) You like for me anyway. I was I like certainly um, when they're in like election headquarters and stuff, and there's just so many people just crammed together, and you're just like, oh, oh, oh virus is everywhere here. <laughs> it anyway. is weird how you start looking at people in the proximity that they have to each other and think that's strange that they're all so close. Yeah, this isn't helped. Not helped along in this case by the fact that it's uh, got such a small aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. Um. In the end, yeah, we get a very 70s ending where he gets chased by the press into a hotel room and he asks Peter Boyle, what are we going to do now? Which is very clever. Well done, guys. Very clever. Um, But ultimately, it was the end of a film that I'm never going to watch again. No, sir. Nor Bad News Bears. Um, How can we pick such fucking winners and such losers? Well, because what happens is when I pick a film, (laughs) to be fair, Fanny (laughs) and Alexander was good. 
Uh, just you've, you, I mean, I'm far more worried about next week because next week is a massive. <laughs> Im- there's a huge imbalance <laughs> between the potential picks. All right. Well, look, I'll just introduce my pick right now then. And the main reason I have picked it is because I read a very interesting article about this film in Empire Magazine recently. And I decided, you know what? I like quite a few of this director's films and he likes this film. So why don't I just give it a go? So I would like to watch Zardoz. That's right. Who likes Zardoz? Uh, John Borman, the director of Zardoz. Likes Zardoz. Yes. Have you seen Zardos? <laughs> I have not because it is, I thought, quite famously awful. Well, I, it was a huge flop, I recall. Reading. It was a huge flop, but it has I its also fans. Heard it was terrible. It has its fans. Do you know what the first thing that comes up when you select, or if you Google films similar to Zardos, you know what comes up? Oh, don't. Is it Logan's Run? Yes. Oh my God! What have you What have you been googling? Why do you end up with Zardoz and Logan's Run? What did you have that I responded to with Logan's Run? Was Logan's Run was uh, a companion to something else? Yes, Logan's Run wasn't my first choice, was it? <laughs> I hope not. That would be mental. Logan's Run was with Snowpiercer. That makes sense. Yeah, but fuck that shit. That was awful. Look, Zardoz will be better. I promise you. Well, it'll be better for me. It also has nudity. I'll tell you what. If I win, I'll have more trivia for Zardos than anything else because I did just read a very long article about the film. The article article was very entertaining. I really enjoyed the article. Okay, good. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just finished reading the article. On a whim, I texted you the one word, Zardos, and here we are. Um, It's better than when you texted me bad news bears. At least this was less confusing. Or cum diaper. What that was a big mouth <laughs> reference. That was a private I'm sure conversation. You, <laughs> you didn't need to share that. <laughs> okay, okay, so my film, I chose uh, a very similar film to Zardoz, uh, Breaking the Waves. <laughs> nice. I've, I've seen a few Lars von Trier films and I've always enjoyed them, but I never got around to Breaking the Waves. Which Hold is on surprising. Now. We're going to need to roll back a little bit. So, which Lars von Trier's films have you enjoyed? Well, I think we should wait until you. Because <laughs> if I win, I'll tell you. I'll tell you if I lose the coin toss. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, maybe I you'll choose one of them for the coin toss. Who knows? But anyway, I just want to say I I haven't seen Breaking the Waves, which is surprising because it's set and filmed in Scotland, and I know it's going to be a tough watch, but it's. It's very uh, highly acclaimed, and uh, yeah, that's why I chose that. Sweet. All right, well, I have a coin. Is it my week to toss? I think so, because my coin's over there. Okay, so I have a a 10 and a Cervantes. Let's go 10. It just went straight up and down. It is Cervantes. That's bullshit. (laughs) It's not... I, you just you not... don't know how to toss a coin. You just threw it straight up and down. You threw it. No, it didn't, I didn't. It didn't even flip. I tossed flip. it and it, I caught it, it overhand. Once. It once. It flipped once in the air only. I mean, do you want to just watch Breaking the Waves? Do you trust me? No, I want to watch Zardoz. Yeah, we're watching uh, Zardoz. I'm sorry. Wait, let me tell you. I've watched um, Dancer in the Dark, Dogville, 
I've watched bits and pieces of other stuff. I can't even think of the other ones. Did you watch The but... Idiots? No. Is that what you were going to choose? No, 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 no. I, what, was I, your, what was your companion film? Mine we should reveal gonna... this every week. We should reveal what the companion film was going to be. Um, this is mine what you would... could have won. Mine would have been... Okay, I would have gone down an excessively arty route. Um, Obviously. But I... It was going to be uh, Belle de Jour, which was... Uh, oh, I've seen Belle de Jour. All right, okay. Is it good? That's a, that's another uh, Louis... Louis Bunuel, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just it's honestly... Fine, but it's I, like 1965 or whatever. It is, yeah. But I, here's the thing, is just at that moment, just when we were getting near the crucial coin toss, I was struggling to remember what my initial choice was, and then I was thinking, <laughs> oh, okay, I might just jump to another Scottish film. What about Morvern Callor? So it oh, I, I like Morvern Callor. I'm, I'm it could have easily been Morvern Callor, too. Oh, well, that so, would have been good, too. I like Morvern Callor. Anyway, well, well, that's what we could have won. We could have won. All right. Instead, so what happened? So, well, yeah, when I Googled, as I mentioned, when I Googled Zardoz, the first thing that came up was Logan's Run. Which, uh, as we've established, does not bode well for next week. No, no I'm sorry. Um, so I was I was contemplating pulling something from John Boorman's filmography, but oh. I, that was the plan. But I decided not to do that. I decided instead I would try and stick thematically and also with uh, a film that shares the lead actor, Sean Connery. Okay. Any ideas what this might be? It's from 1981. And Terry Terry Gilliam. Oh, okay. I don't know. No, Time Bandits. I've never seen Time Bandits. Me neither. All right, and it's oh. quite highly rated, and it's got Sean Connery, and it's supposedly at least somewhat thematically similar to Zardoz. Okay. Um. I mean, I am sorry in advance, but let's. I'm just going to look and see how long Zardoz is. Oh, I never <laughs> checked. I never checked how long Time Bandits is either. Zardos is 102 minutes uh, long. That's not bad. We can handle that, can't we? Uh, yeah, and Time Bandit is 113. So they're both under two hours. Um, intro, so I'm going to open up uh, just as a taster. Uh, the title of Zardos comes from uh, covering uh, the title of Wizard of Oz in part with your fingers. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I can't believe we have to watch this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I really wish I didn't know that before I watched the film. That's going to buy it. I'm biased, biased completely against the whole thing now. What, just because of the that's title? One of the worst, that's one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just horrendous. I'm going to try and do uh, mythical deconstructions of other films in the future. Uh, like, can you, like, let's see, I could just cover uh, my fingers and I would make, um, <laughs> wait a second, uh, Coonings. What, what would Coonings be? <laughs> cool Runnings, I hope. It would be Cool Runnings. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, would be, I, that could be a problem, renaming that film <laughs> in, that, in that way. Uh, yeah, could be. Issues. Yeah, you could you could run into issues. <laughs> I think it was an interesting choice. <laughs> I only just realized <laughs> you the just title put of that cool runnings. Now. The title of cool runnings is very nearly two, not one but two racial epitaphs. <laughs> Good. Uh, I, I'm not, okay. We'll let that go with epitaph there. Um, yeah, Mr. McKay.
in the beginning. I, I think it's important to note what subjects we haven't discussed. We've completely ignored the fact that this is a society divided by fear, hatred, and violence. And until we talk about just what this society really is, then I don't know how we're going to change it. For example, we haven't discussed the rot that destroys our cities. We have all the resources we need to check it, and we don't use them. And we haven't discussed why not. We haven't discussed race in this country. We haven't discussed poverty. In short, we haven't discussed any of the sicknesses that may yet send this country up in flames. And we'd better do it. We'd better get it out in the open and confront it before it's too late.